Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast. And on this episode, we will be taking a deep dive into the 1988 classic Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Hello and welcome back. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. How are we doing, guys? I hope we're all safe and we're all well. And I'm so excited to bring you this episode. I have got an amazing special guest. So I'm going to shut up now and let's jump straight in. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by a legend in his own lunchtime. Uh, the man, the myth, the one, the only, Gregor Mortis, Greg Mord- Morgan from Land of the Creeps. Ladies and gentlemen, stamp your feet, jangle your jewellery and give him a big welcome to his debut on the Undead Wookiee. Hiya, Greg, how we doing? Man, it is exciting and wow, lunchtime, I love it because the <laughs> fact that my favourite time of school year was lunchtime, so you picked it right. <laughs> oh, man, this is awesome, man. I'm the undead Wookiee, man. <laughs> I can't do it like Peter, but, you know, oh, he's but a, I'll do yeah. the... <laughs> <laughs> there, there it is. There it is. Perfect. Now, this is an honor, dude. I cannot wait to, to chat with you, man. It's going to be awesome. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. And I know I've said this to, like, to Peter, to, to Joel, and, and you know, and, and Dave Becker, and the guys over at the Horror Movie Podcast, and everybody else have said... You know, you um, your show Land of the Creeps is one of the very reasons I started my own podcast. Um, you got yeah, honestly, you guys are a, you know, and you still are a big inspiration to me. Um, so you've either got a lot to answer for, or <laughs> <laughs> I've always looked at it like this. I've heard people say, you know, we started a podcast, college. so I always look at it like this because everybody knows that if I can do it, they can do it better. So I'm, I'm always honored. I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> If this country pumpkin can do one, you absolutely can do one. Now you're doing a great job, bro. Oh, thank I love you, it. Thank uh, you, great man. show. You always have good guests, man. I love your guests too. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you know, and obviously, the, you know, some of the, you know, lots of the guests that are, that, are, that come on you on your guys' show, and ah, um, oh, do you know what? I love how you guys go long when you <laughs> really go for it. You go, you know, six hours, you know, <laughs> really yeah. hanging on in there. I mean, there's some monster episodes on there. There's some. Uh, but this is a great, great discussion. So, uh, I'm... we got the gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very excited that you said yes to coming on today, and uh, I know we're talking about oh. uh, mm. a franchise that is somewhat close to your heart. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, and oh. you know, we're talking about one of the sequels. So, you know, we're we're talking about Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Um, And I picked this one because out of the original sequels, this one is is one of my favourites. Because when it came out in 1988, this arrived. So it it arrived in the video shops here, the video stores, um, late... 89 um 90 before we sort of you know it sort of was everywhere and i've probably seen this one as many times as the, <laughs> the original 
you know. Hey, that's not a bad thing. Not at all. Not at all. So, you know, I mean, you know, for, for people who sort of, you know, may, you know, very few, haven't you? So how come you, you know, obviously you're known for your love of the Halloween films. Where did that come from? Uh, it just early. It was one of the first, well, I've said it, you know, many times that Halloween 1, 1978 was the, the movie that got me into horror. It was that, you know, fateful night going trick-or-treating that I came home and watched Halloween for the first time on a black-and-white little 13-inch TV and was just mesmerized by this killer, you know, like this shape. And it just, it grabbed me. And ever since then, like, Halloween just spoke to me. It was one of my favorite holidays growing up, of course, as a kid, trick-or-treating, uh, living in a, uh, a development. Well, we call them development, I don't know if y'all have developments out there. Yeah. Be but yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's a subdivision type thing. So we had lots of houses, a lot of parents. So, I mean, living in a place where we were able to trick-or-treat a lot back in the day, you know, it just that was my favorite time of year, dress up in costumes and yeah. watch scary movies. And, you know, it just always... So this movie and this franchise has always spoke to me on that avenue. Like, I didn't camp a lot. So Friday 13th, as much as I love it, didn't really speak to me. Elm Street is what it is, you know, dream sequence type. But this franchise, because of the theme subject, man, is so much. And it's because of the shape and Donald Lumen. I'm just everything. Donald yeah. places and this is so much goodness, man. I, I, that's my love for Halloween is just yeah. everything around the holiday. So this one came out. Were you lucky enough to see it in the cinemas or did you, it was a VHS. Where did you see this one? Uh, the first time was TV. It was when it first aired on uh, CBS, I believe it was. Uh, was the first time I physically seen it, and then rented it multiple times on VHS, and <laughs> and I mean multiple times. And then of course become the purchasing of and you know the many 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 copies of this movie that I own <laughs> uh, different formats, and, and it's crazy how many. Oh man, I'm even trying to think in my head. I think I have like. Halloween just 1978 like 10 times on different formats that's crazy isn't it it's, it's insane but yeah I'm, I'm just that geeky I got three versions of four four versions of Halloween four alone wow I mean I've got um I've actually the, the version I've got is an ex rental DVD um okay. copy um and I think it was one of the very very early early DVDs um so one there's of the no real yeah 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 um and there's no bells and whistles on it. The film, you, you literally put the DVD in and it starts. <laughs> there's no menus, nothing. And they don't even give you a trailer or nothing. Nothing. Huh? No, it's like, well, if you think, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm just going to grab something, I'm going to grab a quick drink before we start. Just before you <laughs> no, it's on. It's in. You're in. So, so there's know. no lube or nothing. This is going straight for the like, It's just like we're going right in. Yes. yes. I don't even know your name. I'm just I'm giving you this. This is it. <laughs> Dinner in a movie is not an option. It's it's like a Netflix and chill movie. This is like straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Netflix can pay you later for that one. Yeah. They are, you know, but in some ways it's sort of whenever I put it on, it takes me back to that sort of moment. Uh, of renting it on VHS and getting it home, and then you just sort of, you know, there's that sort of the quality on the picture is 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 good. It's a decent, it's a it's a decent copy, um, mm. but it hasn't got all those sort of like lovely bells and whistles that the Blu-ray and everything else would have. Um, but there is something about this this one 
um, that sort of um, I think somebody told you you got the nostalgia goggles on. I suppose when you're watching it. Um, but this and it still surprised me. It came out in 1988, so you know when you talk about 80s horror, you know this is tail end of the you know to the 80s, but it is very much in that sort of 80s horror, um, and it sort of it, it, there's a lot of nostalgia tied up in it for me. So yeah. um, you know, and I mean you know when we look at it, it was directed by uh, Dwight H. Little. Um, who did a lot of TV, or still does, he directs a lot of TV. And I only realised um, the other day that he directed um, The Phantom of the Opera with Robert Englund. Yes, yes. And and that was something that I didn't know for years either. Like, that was a movie I've seen a few times, but it wasn't until a recent viewing that I looked at the director, and I was like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I not know that? Yeah. Or, you know, it's crazy. Or, or the better known, the better known movie he, we got to think of is he did Free Willy Part Two. Come on, <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it's for you, Peter, because I know Peter. That's the one you watch every night before you go to bed. <laughs> is Free Willy Two? I know. So, I, I, I'm just throwing that out. There. Yeah. <laughs> now, and the other, you know, he also directed. Um, he did Rapid Fire with Brandon Lee. Yes. Uh, Mark for Death was with Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's done a lot, you know. So he's jumped around genres a little bit, um, which, however, the one thing that I sort of really, really, you know, love about this, this feels like um, a proper Halloween film. Sure, agreed. You know, and sort yeah, of, I think, I think he did that. I think it was that return, like we need, as the name is, the return of Michael Myers, like. I think it was the perfect individual to bring the franchise back in. I, I just feel that way. After you look at all the directors that we've had in the franchise, I think Dwight was the right choice uh, for this. I know Joe Dante at one time was uh, somewhat you know, attached to this, even though he never physically agreed yeah. to it. But his name was thrown up. And, and as much as I love Joe Dante, I just I think Dwight Little was the right choice. Yeah, and... and- I love Joe Dante. I, I really do. But I don't think... He, he's so quirky. Yeah, yeah. He is so quirky. And, you know, even in, you know, so you, know, you look at The Howling, you know, there is, you know that's a Joe Dante movie. There's yes. some, of the, some of his sort of, you know... Because, you know, people chuck the word auteur around and Joe Dante really, really is an auteur. Um, mm. And it's just got his you know, his stamp on it. But like you said, I think, you know, Dwight H. Little is the right guy to hold the reins on this one. Sure. Um, because, like, the development of Halloween 4 is almost as interesting as the film. <laughs> Definitely. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I know I'm talking, you know, I'm, talk, I'm talking to, uh, you know, to Mr. Halloween itself here. But have you come across the book Taking Shape 2? I have Taken Shape Part 1 in my hand. I have not picked up Taking Shape Part 2, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And yeah, I actually do not own... That's one of the <laughs> few books I don't own. I actually own the... And I'm sure you do as well. Uh, but I own the novelization of Halloween 4. That, wow. Uh, yeah, but I do not own Taking Shape Part 2. But that, that will soon change. I mean, the and what's interesting is like some of the iterations that this story... You know, the, the screenplay and like the ideas that get banded around... For you know, for the you know, for this film, 
because of course like this is coming off the back of halloween 3 mm-hmm. which um i think it's fair to say on people shit on from a great height when it yeah. first came out um really unfairly <laughs> really unfairly i think Agreed. Uh, but people were going well where's michael myers and it's as good as Halloween 3 is. People wanted Halloween 4, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and we really get, in a sense, a return to... It, it, it's, a, it's a proper return to Haddonfield. It is a mm-hmm. proper return to, you know, to, to Michael Myers, you know. But, like, you read some of the... The some of the other ideas. My favourite one has to be the screenplay where he's wearing leather a leather jacket and trousers with <laughs> leather gloves and driving a Porsche. <laughs> Gives a whole new meaning. Hey, that would bring you to the days of uh, maybe Slumber Party Massacre, you know, part two yeah. or something. You know, let's, <laughs> yes. let's, let's bring in the rocker, Michael. Here, let's see yeah. How you know, sort of trick or treat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Trick or treat, sort of. Yeah, you know, or something. Like yeah. That. yeah. That sort of big poofy sort of uh, yeah, white snake hair. That yeah. would. <laughs> well, we're still in the hair hair days, so we're still in the hair band, so that would have totally worked. I mean, even though we was fixing to hit the grunge era, but we was there. We yeah, there. we were, Yeah, you could you could just imagine the Shatner mask, couldn't you, with the sort of you know. With the sort of that that big sort of like layered and feathered mullet flowing at the back, that would be. Uh... Oh, that or maybe the what was um oh from uh, Return of Living Dead maybe the trash uh, thra- which one was the mohawk? The... Oh, um, was it trash? Yeah, trash, trash or thrash? Yes. The... Yeah, that that would have totally worked. Michael with a big old mohawk, maybe <laughs> green down the middle. That would have been freaking awesome. Maybe orange because of the Halloween. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Tip. <laughs> Some studded ear piercings and a nose uh, ring. Yeah, that's nice. totally. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> that's how ridiculous that sounds. It's like anybody that would have put that in a script, like, really? <laughs> Could you imagine that meeting where the, where the writer comes in all excited? Because, <laughs> you know, Mustafa Akkad is not known... Um, for his uh, suffering fools gladly, right? <laughs> and I mean, he's. You know, I don't think he'd have made it in the door, Hugh. I don't. I don't <laughs> think that trip would have ever made it to the desk of Mustafa at the time. Malik, maybe Mustafa, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, Malik, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, because no. Carpenter was originally sort of because didn't they sell the rights? Stop me if I'm wrong. Um, it didn't Canon by the mm. rights at one point yeah they yeah john and deborah was brought on and and was in the forerun and they were going to do it again because of money and all these different things yeah john and them sold it out sold everything said, Psh, you know we're out here yeah. it goes that's where it ended up laying into mustafa's hands there fully yeah and like um and because um then sort of is it dennis etcherson was brought yeah. in. Dennis Edgerton was brought in to sort of write the script. Now, he did the novelizations for The Fog and mm. the first two books, didn't he? The novelizations of Halloween. Uh, Halloween 2 and 3. Yeah. yeah. And yeah I actually those two, which are really good novels, by the way. 
the I, what amazes me is how much they're worth now. Oh yeah, it's insane. Like the first, I don't own the first one because it's insanely expensive. I yes. do have Halloween two and Halloween three, um, but I do not own that first book, and it is. Uh, it is definitely in the radar if it ever came available in a legit price point I could afford. Yeah, <laughs> I would totally get it, but it's not right now. I can tell you that because it's last go off. Um, there was a copy somewhere because one of my other th- addiction is 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 horror paperbacks. Oh, um, nice! And like sort of the real sort of paperback from hell stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, the guy N. Smith and Sean Hudson and, you know, those just amazing, amazing covers. Really gratuitously, graphically violent or gory covers. You know, and so so I can't... No, I was going to say that that is the thing. Like with this, uh, Dennis Etchison, he did go under Jack. So if you look up those novelizations, you're going to see it under Jack Martin. Okay, that's what you're going to see written by Jack Martin. Yeah. But that's Halloween 2 and 3, but it is Dennis Etchison. and that's just his pseudonym name. So don't let that throw you off, okay? So it is technically Dennis Etchison, but on the books it'll say Jack Martin. But I totally know kind of where you're at, because I do have, like, I have Close Encounters, uh, the third kind, which is my favorite sci-fi movie of all time. I have that in novelization as well as, uh, I think I have The Fog. I know I've got The Entity, and, of course, Halloween 2 and 3. I've got a bunch of different novelizations mm. as well. So that's awesome that you collect a lot of those man it's freaking I, awesome i picked up the other day um is i scour all the like um in the uk we call them charity shop stores uh i think okay. over with you guys the thrift sort stores those kind of things mm-hmm. and um i picked up a um a, a, a cover a copy of uh stephen king's the running man but Ooh. it's got the schwarzenegger cover Mm-hmm. Because obviously, the, the, I mean, the Running Man novel is yeah. so different to the film. <laughs> it's just, just not even the same kind of creature. But the cover has got Schwarzenegger on the front. It's got all, you know, and it's very much the movie tie-in. It's absolutely gorgeous. That's awesome because that's one that you don't see out. I, you see a lot of Stephen King books everywhere you go, at least, yeah. I should say, here in the States. But you get your normal The Stand, Cat's Eye, these type books. Yeah. Don't see the Running Man out there regularly. No, I, I own it, but it's a long, it's an older, older, older copy. But no, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's really, really good. And I got um, I mean, I got quite a good, I got got a really nice uh, collection of King going. Um, awesome. And I've got some of the my, one of my one of my absolute private possessions is I got a first publication of um, Salem's Lot uh, in paperback. It is yeah. beaten to shit and back. Um, and if you kind of you know so yeah I think if you even attempted to open it up to read it properly it would just just disintegrate in your hands but it's the one where it's the complete black cover yes yes with a little bit of red in there it's absolutely it's just it is paperback novels are a thing of beauty I think and you know particularly horror I think they've really got to be you know things to be appreciated yeah no, that. No, go. No, I was just gonna say that is so freaking awesome, man. That, that I think I own Salem's Lot in like three versions, like, and yeah. it's just not books are different. It's just different covers, just because I love that movie so much and 
in the story, but that's so freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, like the other one I've got is um, is Cujo. I think I've got about three different copies of Cujo, um, just because the covers are just so awesome. Yes, yes, I'm yeah. a sucker for covers. That's oh. why I got so many different versions of Halloween on the Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same with Akira. Um, the anime. Um, I think I have owned Akira on every format, with the exception of Betamax. <laughs> yeah, Betamax is not one that I own either. I just I can't. Yeah, I, they're hard to find ways. But I never did have. I got a VHS player, so I will buy VHS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Beta's never been on my line. <laughs> <laughs> no, now Dennis actually he, he did turn in a script for this um, that got rejected because he was a little bit. I think Mustafa Rakhad thought he was a little bit too cerebral um, and it had turned Michael in more, to, it, it, more towards a supernatural element. Yes. And um, I think the storyline was about like how Halloween was banned um, in Haddonfield and that um, it sort of took place in a drive-in. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Am I right on that one? Yes. The um, you know, so and he sort of went away from that, and then we ended up sort of he ended up bringing in um, uh, what was the writer for, that he eventually settled on uh, for Halloween Four? Yes. No, that's what we're. <laughs> of course, it is. That's what we're. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the screenplay itself was Alan B. McElroy. That's right. That's yeah. right. Who he he wrote it in like eleven days. Yeah, insane quick time to write a script. Really. I'm telling her screenplay. Yeah, but I they mean, were having they were getting ready to have the writer strike, so they had only a certain amount of time. I mean, I'm not stealing any thunder, but I know you know he had to have it written by a certain time because Donald Places hadn't even agreed to be in the movie yet, wow. even though he's tied. But he said, "I got to see that script before I sign on." So they had to get something to him. And so they only had like 11 days. God, Lord, man. That's, that is crazy. That is insane. That is insane. Um, yes. I mean, that is absolutely insane. Um, but it's a very, very solid screenplay. Really, sure. really solid screenplay. And um, it brings Michael back to being flesh and blood um, to a certain a certain extent. Um now, obviously, in terms of how would you sum up the storyline for this one? Um, basic setup. Uh, Michael, ten years later, after a fire caused him to be in a coma, yeah, um, is transferred from mental state hospital to uh, going to like a state prison type scenario, and in the process, he awakens and he's able to wreak havoc on an ambulance and the crew and then he's on his way to Haddonfield to seek out Jamie who is we know the daughter of Jamie Lee Curtis's character of Laurie Strode who we find out has passed away that she's died and Jamie has been uh, basically adopted by the Carruthers and uh, the story follows the line of Michael's coming to take out Jamie uh, for revenge purpose i guess you would say family purpose but he's gonna take her out and that's kind of the whole scenario set up it's not really that extravagant it's pretty set forward i mean it's just basically 
Michael waking up out of coma to go seek out the niece of Jamie Lee, or I say Jamie, I should say Lori, Lori Strode. Yeah. And through that, he's going to kill her and anybody that stands in the way. That's pretty much the premise. Now, I remember the first time that when I was watching, you know, the, you know, as a kid watching it and they said that, you know, they said that Laurie Strode, sort of Jamie Lee Curtis's character, was killed in a car accident. I was like, oh, my God, I was so mm. shocked. I was really shocked as a kid. I was just like, this is this is insane. Who's next? Who's next? Yeah. <laughs> right. Donald Places, Dr. Loomis, what? No. Yeah, it was, you know, and just that idea. You know, and it's such yeah. a simple thing, of course, because there was no way you know Jamie Lee Curtis was coming back at that time um, to do it. Um, but in terms of the cast, it's a really, really strong cast. Really mm. strong. You've got Donald Pleasance is back uh, as Dr. Loomis. Um, and considering he was getting on up there in age, um, mm. it, it's a physical role. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, really physical role. Um, you know, and you know he's great in pretty much everything he does. <laughs> yes. You know he is so good. I mean, one of my favorites with Donald Pleasance is have you seen Deathline? I have raw meat. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes, such a good movie, man. It's oh yes, 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 yes. Do you have besides Halloween? Do you have any other favorite Donald Pleasance movies? Uh, I'm like you, like pretty much anything that that man's ever been in, like it. I didn't know him until, of course, Halloween. So yeah. then once Halloween come out, I was like, well, let me see who this guy is. And didn't realize that, you know, this was a well-established actor. Like, Halloween was hitting toward the end of his career, not the beginning. So I'm sitting here looking up stuff. And some of his stuff is a little more obscure or, or not necessarily obscure, but stuff that just doesn't hit right in my wheelhouse, I would say. Yeah. But with that said, I mean, you can get him in course anything that he was in with john carpenter like he was in escape from new york as the yes. president and that was a freaking great role uh the devonsville terror he played dr uh warley i love yeah. the devonsville terror it's such a good movie if you've never seen it big fan of it alone in the dark was really good that he was in i did enjoy that one uh but the one that i thought about the most was um the one that's um dario argento because i'm such a huge argento fan but phenomena i think Yes. I just love him in that role. He's so quirky. He's so weird, over the top, man. But that's probably one of my all-time favorite roles with him in. Yeah. Oh, he is great in that. The other one I love um, is Paganini Horror. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that or have Oh, seen. God. It is an absolute stinker of a <laughs> film. Mr. Pickett. Yes. Um but it is a stinker in all the right ways. All okay. the right ways. Completely, you know, there are times in the film it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I think it's Luigi Cosi uh, uh, directed it. Yes. Um, it's absolutely... <laughs> it, it is. There are just times she's just thinking... Because they dub him over as well. Oh. Um, and it's clear the words that are coming out of his mouth are not the words that are yeah, But yeah. I, I'm intrigued here, Hugh. I got to tell you, when a female rock band uses an infamous old piece of sheet music to record a new album in an old mansion to accidentally open a portal to hell, yes, I'm into this movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All about I will seek this one out. I mean, I actually think I've seen this one, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be shocked that it didn't win any awards. 
Um, but <laughs> honestly, but he again he shows up in it and he sort of plays the sort of the, this sort of almost like the devil kind of uh, kind of character, and he's just so over the top and so quirky, and he's just re and he re he does lift lift the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's you know, and I mean, of course, he was the Great Escape and. You know, and you know various other classics, but he is such a good actor, such a good actor. Um, and of course, we get a very, very young uh, Daniel Harris. Yes. In this, was this one of her? I think it was one of her first roles. It was her first movie, her first feature film, but she was on, I believe, Guiding Light. She was on one of the uh, soap operas as right. a television, but this was her very first star or not even star an actual film role i mean what a performance yes i i, I sort of I, I i put this up on the social media yesterday when i was rewatching, and i just it, it really did blow me away of just how good she is in this Agreed. movie i mean there is this sort of you know people sort of you know, always just running and screaming but you can see that she is playing genuinely terrified mm-hmm absolutely superb really really uh just just so committed in everything that she does um and of course she's gone on to you know multiple things yeah um since and because she was in the hatchet movies as well wasn't she yeah she was yeah yeah what do you think of the hatchet movies oh big fan big fan all of them uh first one being my favorite but all the way up to i think the fourth one was the one that Brought in so many extra, you know, Felicia Roses and different ones like Tiffany Shepard and all that. No, I'm yeah. a huge fan of Adam Green. Pretty much anything that man does, I'm I'm there, man. I support the hell out of that guy. <laughs> just, love him, love them both, man. I love the Hatches. I love Victor Crowley. I love that it's uh, Kane Hodder. Yes, just everything, man. Yes, yeah, such a good series. Now, um, Ellie Cornell then uh, plays Rachel, yeah. um, and she's great in this. She's really, really good. Now, yep. when we get to Michael, there are two different actors essentially who are playing Michael. Yes. Um, so, obviously, it was Tom. Was it Tom? Tom Morgan was originally Tom. hired, I believe. Yes. Um, so, what happened to him? Because he, he got let go at some point. Yeah, there was a dispute, um, and this is if you listen to the commentary, you'll hear it as well. But basically, him and the. Uh, the effects artist, the makeup artist, one that was doing the mask, there was a a dispute going on where the director Dwight wanted a the mask, wanted the eyes bigger, or the producer wanted the eyes bigger in the mask. Well, in order to do that, you know, certain things have to take place. Well, they wanted it done immediately, and he's like, I can't physically do that because to do it and then filter it. You know, there's going to be fumes that once Tom Morgan puts this mask on, he's going to pass out and probably die. Right. So they didn't care. They wanted it done. They refused to do it. So they fired the uh, basically fired both of them on the spot. But they fired the effects guy or the mask guy. And but now check this out. Now, listen to the commentary and then other things. I've watched a documentary as well. Uh, He, the guy, was friends with somebody from Fangoria at the time. Well, Fangoria got wind of it real quick that they had just fired him on set in front of everybody. And he immediately got in touch with him and said, if you do not rehire him, we will do absolutely zero to promote your movie in Fangoria. Wow. 
So within 30 minutes, he was rehired, but they did not bring Tom Morgan back. Right. So then it's going to George P. Wilbur, who's the other shape on it. Yeah, because... It's a shame. I love George. I, I met George. I've met Tom. I've met everybody except for Nick Castles. Only, and Tony Moran are only two I've never met, and I will make that happen one day eventually. But uh, needless to say, both of them are great guys. I don't think they had any animosity toward each other. I don't think there was any jealousy or any... Mm throwing smack at each other like I took your job or what it wasn't nothing like that George Wilbur matter of fact I think up until the end that I know of never really even spoke about it he said I don't even know what happened don't care you know he just he did his part he was asked to do it and he did it uh Tom Morgan I love I, I think he's was a tremendous stunt actor still uh you know he was he was a tremendous yeah act as stunt he done stunt guy that's what George Wilbur did they're not necessarily actors no. they're stunt men and they done great for what they did uh, but it wasn't a bad thing that happened. I mean, George Wilbur does great, you know, as Michael Myers himself. I just think they didn't like where he was going. He was more robotic, I think, Tom, because he wasn't, you know, you're asked to do a character and you're wearing a mask. It's like, you know, emote this and you're like, um, in a mask, how am I supposed to show you if I'm smirking or not? You know, yeah. so it's hard. Like, you know, what are you supposed to do? Okay. Am I supposed to walk straight sideways, crooked, whatever? I know uh, George Wilbur said they loved the way he he walked. He said it was just my natural walk. So he said, I guess they love me for my walk. But yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just weird things. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Just, do you have a favorite, Michael? Uh, I do. I mean, Dick Warlock in number two was my favorite by mm. far. Yeah. Uh, but I do love Nick Castle in number one uh, because, of course, being the originator. I was a, actually a big friend, a big fan of Black, Brad LeRae. Uh, Brad, who was in uh, H2O, yes. or in Resurrection, I'm sorry, Resurrection, I mean. Uh, and I don't like necessarily Resurrection as, as a Halloween movie. It's the weaker of the movies. Mm. Uh, but with that said, I did like him as Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do like uh, I, I do like Dick Warlock. I think there's, there's just a presence in there yeah. with him. There is a real presence. But, you know, Nick Castle is, is phenomenal. Oh yeah, you know he is phenomenal in the in the in the original. He's there is, he is the shape, mm -hmm. I suppose. And I I think one way I kind of look at it is you know you have Nick Castle who is the shape, and then you have you know then you have the sort of the the other actors who are Michael. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to outbeat the one that is the original. <laughs> it's yes, hard. you know it's just that way. I mean, but. yeah. And I mean, then we get uh, in the cast, we get uh, Michael uh, Patsky uh, as Dr. Hoffman. You get Bo Starr as Sheriff Ben Meeker. Uh, Kathleen uh, Kinmont as Kelly Meeker. Uh, Sasha Jensen uh, as Brady. Um, and then you get, I, it only dawned on me yesterday. Now, like I said, I've probably watched this God knows how many times. Carmen... Um, Phil Pye, if I'm saying okay. it right, who plays uh, Reverend Jackson. Yes. He was blue in old school. Oh, really? I didn't even think that. <laughs> I should have seen that, but I totally did not recognize that. It's it just that moment of, oh, my God, it's blue. Yeah. It's blue from old school. Oh, and my it, gosh. You know, he... I love the Sayer in this movie. He is. Yes. It's the humor of the movie, but it also speaks a lot of volume. What he says, it, yeah. it's oh, but we'll get into that later. But no, I, I love him. 
it is a great, you know, and it, it's a great scene that he's in. It's, it is a great scene. Um, now, this one had a budget of five million. Yes. Which is considerably more than the first two. Mm. Um, you know, and, and you can see that they were spending a bit more money on it. Um, there's a few more explosions. Um, that gas station sequence is is yeah. tremendous, is yeah. absolutely tremendous, um, and that moment where Michael appears above the um, the mechanic with the bandages and everything around is just you know it's a I think it's it's a classic kill, isn't it? It is a yes. classic kill. Yeah, I love it. How do you feel about that sequence? I, I love that whole setup of the of the uh, mechanic store slash restaurant. I just thought it was a perfect opportunity because this movie had so many moments where you get introduced. First of all, you got to be introduced to Michael and then we got to figure out how we get Michael to Haddonfield. So we got to do this. We got to put him in a mechanic store because he's got to find his jumpsuit, right? I mean, you got to have that. So that sets it up. Plus you got to have a vehicle to get to Haddonfield. Guess what? There's a tow truck there. So, I mean, it was a perfect setup to, continue the uh, movie along but at the same time it was effective like i love the way donald loomis comes walking in to get his gas and then all of a sudden you know he knows something's astray and then we got that stare down uh with the bandaged face of michael that that was great that was tom morgan by the way uh but that scene and then what happens is explosion it was awesome man i just i loved that setup it had the power lines go down or the phone lines go down so that shuts down all communication through the movie so it, it was a perfect setup, man. It was like awesome way they did that. And that shot um, where Michael is framed through the hallway, and the yes. camera slow, and the camera just you know slowly pan, zooms in on him, and mm. you know Lewis draws his gun and, and starts fire, and he's gone. Yeah, it's it, you know it's it's it felt like I think at that point you knew you were back in a Halloween movie. You Agreed. were back in a Halloween movie, um, and I mean before that, obviously we get the um, we get the thumb kill. Oh yeah! In the ambulance, and I remember being a kid watching that and thinking, "Holy shit, this is terrifying!" <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a really good kill that was not really that technical, like to do. Like it just literally turned his thumb in, but it looked so real, like it looked like. It went straight through his forehead. It's like, oh my god! And we're like six minutes into it, mm-hmm. right, yeah. right from the bat, yep. right from the bat. And I mean, we sort of, you know, I mean, I think in total, this one has got fourteen. I think there's a body. It's got a body count of fourteen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like amongst the highest number of um, of kills within a Halloween film. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's you know that 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 moment in the ambulance where he sort of he wakes up, you know, and and you could see the hands tense it. Now at that point, was that Tom uh, uh, Morgan or was that George P. Wilbur? That was at the you're talking about at the mechanic store, right? Um, yes, uh, in the mechanic store, and then in the ambulance. So who in the, yeah, mechanic- the ambulance? Yeah. Yeah, the ambulance would have been Tom Morgan as well. Wow. Uh, yeah. A lot of the earlier stuff was Tom Morgan. So if you look at it, when you look at, um, let's see, that there was a couple things, like the mechanic 
well, I call it mechanics. I don't know what that was, the body shop or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, that that was Tom Morga. You had the uh, shotgun to the stomach of, well, an individual in a house. Yes. Where it's kind of lifted up on the door, if I don't want to spoil anything, but that was Tom Morga. Greg, and, we are absolutely, I should have said, we are spoiler-free on the Undead Wookiee. You can go You can go to town. It's not a problem. We do spoilers here because this film okay. came out in 1988. You've had yeah. plenty of time, guys, to go and see it. So if you don't want any spoilers, pause it yeah. now. Otherwise, suck it up, Buttercup. We would... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that scene, yeah, the the scene is definitely you know with Kathleen Kimmott's character, yeah. who is Kel, who is the daughter of the sheriff, uh, Meeker. So basically, Michael Myers takes a double barrel shotgun, rams her in the gut, and holds her up into the door frame, much like Bob did in Halloween One. Yeah. Uh, so that scene is Tom Morga, but pretty much the rest of the movie is George Wilbur. So that was Tom Morga in that whole setup. Whenever you're at that very beginning. Uh, with the blowing up, the explosion, all that different thing, the head bandage, that's Tom Morgan. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that, you know, the that whole house scene oh. is, is so well done. Yes. It is so well. I mean, um, the cinematographer on this uh, was Peter Lyons uh, Collister, and he you know, he does a fantastic job on this. Yeah, does a superb job. I mean, we would be absolutely remiss. I know we're jumping all over the place on you, but um, that you know, the opening sequence, the opening title credits yeah. in this are absolutely stunning. Oh, the opening sequence when we do the whole title sequence, that whole first setting is my favorite opening of any of the Halloween films, and probably one of my all-time favorite openings of any film. By far, I love the farm look. I love the decorations. I love the fall look of it, even though it was shot in March, April. Uh, but still, I loved everything about it, the way it was shot. So superb cinematography. Like, dude, that, I'm telling you, by far, my favorite opening of any of the Halloween films. Yeah, and I know, like, they did a lot of research on the sort of the, the history of Halloween and the sort of how um and the sort of like all the harvest kind of elements that they want to include and it, it is it's so good it is so good it I, I think it's up there with one of my favorite openings of any film yes it is it's beautiful it's it sets the tone like you immediately know you're in a halloween film yes you know it like it's like that screams okay haddonfield but here's the thing like the haddonfield setup of this felt a little a little off for me because, you know, we've seen Pasadena as Haddonfield. Now we're seeing Salt Lake City, Utah as Haddonfield. And it did have a little different feel, but at the same time, it didn't throw me off. I'm like, okay, I'm rolling with it. Uh, the houses look a little different. That's okay. I'm going to still roll with it. And I think it was still effective, like especially the trick-or-treat scenes that they did. Because mm. uh, there were some setups with some alleys and some different things that it worked. So I, after that first initial, like, I wish I had done Pasadena. I was like, okay, I'm good with Salt Lake. I'm, I'm okay with it. Now, you've been to a number of the locations, haven't you? I've been to a, a couple, but no, I've never been to, unfortunately, I haven't been to the Salt Lake. So four and five was filmed in Salt Lake. Uh, actually, six was filmed in uh, Utah as well. So four, five, and six was in Utah. But I have been to the locations of, of you know, the Pasadena area. 
in the original Myers house. Wow. Well, what was that like? Oh, surreal. Oh, so surreal, man. Walking, uh, just walking that area, man, to seeing, you know, sitting on the, on the curb side on that little, uh, I don't want to call it stump, but the little column there yeah. where James was at in Halloween one was one of the most surreal moments walking by the Laurie Strode's house, you know, doing all these different things. But when I walked up with Pearl and that was the first time I'd ever met Pearl. So, uh, you know, being with her and then seeing the Myers house in person for the first time, dude, it, tears and eyes. Like it's, it's one of the most surreal moments I've ever had in my life was just seeing that this breath taken away. You're like, <gasps> you can't hardly <laughs> breathe. Like that. I'm telling you, it would have been no different than someone being raised in the Catholic church, meeting the Pope for the first time. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I guess that moment for me was like, holy crap, I'm right in front of the freaking Myers house. I don't care that they painted it blue. I don't care that it's in a different location. Yeah. This is the freaking Myers house, man. Like, holy crap. <laughs> it's like, I, Pearl thought I was probably goofy as hell, man. I was, I was one of the biggest geek moments I've ever had. Uh, there is nothing quite finer than, than having a proper geek out, though, is there? That oh, moment man. Where, you, where you get to, like, you, you see, you know, there, there are a few moments. Um, mm. And, like, I'm a, a massive history nerd. And uh, me and Louise, my wife, we, we hadn't been together that long. And I remember dragging her around the um, the um, the Zulu War Museum in Brecon with us. Um, and just her being bored to tears. And me just absolutely, yes. <laughs> completely gone. Just completely geeking out all the entire time. So you, you know you've got a good one when, you know, you sort of, you can have that complete geeky moment and they stick around. Oh yeah, she was hamming it up. She was she was egging it on the whole time. Like she was videoing it, and you know she would every time I'd come down a little bit off my little high horse, she, you know, this was working. Then I'd get back up there again. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was great. She was great. She kept me going. <laughs> now the other thing, of course, with Halloween four, that we mm. should mention is the mask. Yeah, the, it's not the greatest of masks. No, definitely. <laughs> it's better than five. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's better than H two O. Oh, H two O's lessless mask. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We I could mean, have a podcast on masks, man. Just the the debacle of these masks, like, oh my god. Yeah, because I mean, the original mask didn't it end up under Deborah Hill's bed <laughs> after the first one, where and and she's like. <laughs> She was like a chain smoker. <laughs> I don't. I fully, honestly, don't know. I just know it disappeared, and and then number two, and then after that, it, it definitely was. There was no more. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? It's a freaking mask. Yeah, oh. yeah. The not replicate this thing like Don Post. Why can we not make that exact mask over? But of course, they didn't have the original mold, so I guess we couldn't. No, because like the original story was that you know they. They just threw the original mask underneath the bed. Yeah. And at the time, both John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were both chain smokers. I mean, Carpenter still is. Um, and, you know, they, they would sort of do, she would do a lot of her work whilst on the bed and, and smoking. So <laughs> when it came back around to do the, to the, to do Halloween too, they, they pulled the mask out and it had, it had gone yellow. Mm -hmm. It had turned yellow. And of course it was in a bit of a state 
and then Halloween 3 and then they obviously it just wasn't there for like Halloween 4 um mm. but the story of this one was they just did they just sort of they they or did they order like a pile of like Shatner masks altered Shatner masks and they came back not right yeah, they basically ordered like six of them, and they came back pink with white, you know, <sighs> pink white hair. Like it, not even it was supposed to be brown hair with white mask, but to come back pink with white hair. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. But you know, the uh, oh, I can't think of his name. The guy that did the mask, the effect effects of mask. But anyways, he had uh, didn't check them until it was way too into the process of getting ready to go. Then when he checked him, he said, holy crap, wait, this ain't right. <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> we got to do something. So that's why you can see it in the movie. You can see uh, how white the mask, you can see lumps in it, and that's because of them having to repaint over it and everything. So uh, there is defects because of it. But, and, you know, low budget. and like in in the school sequence, um, the, the hair goes blonde <laughs> at, yes. at one point because they just didn't realize that they hadn't changed the mask. Yes. So you know, Michael clearly decided to stop and have a t- have a bit of a touch up um, <laughs> before popping over to the school to sort of uh, to kill Jamie and Doctor Loomis. Uh, yeah, that was hilarious. Like I said, uh, Dwight Little had said in the commentary, which get the listen to the commentary with Justin Beam, our great friend Justin. Him and Dwight Little. It's off the Anchor Bay original Blu-ray release. It's great. Uh, it's also in the uh, box set if you get the uh, Screen Factory release. It's in there. Uh, brought back from that anchor bay but dwight talks about it he said i'd love to be able to tell you that it was this or that but he said it was legit just four o'clock in the morning type filming and the guy went to the truck grabbed the wrong mask brought it in we didn't realize that we're all tired it got filmed we ended up we should have reshot it with just time money we just didn't do it we should have but we left it we just nobody caught it during the filming like nobody until it was the process edited and they're like wait a minute Oh God! You can just just imagine sat in the editing room, can't you? And just going, no, no, because <laughs> it's a it's a pivotal moment. It's Donald Loomis getting thrown through a glass. Yes, like, and here's Michael with the blonde hair. Like, uh. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those moments. It's like Carl Weathers' arm in Predator. <laughs> you talking about over here in the Happy Gilmore? Yeah. <laughs> I mean. The, you know the um, we've all had moments, um, and I liked when I did the you know, I did the short you know the short film for School Hall Slaughter, and one of the scenes that you know is the our janitor Fred, mm. bit in the nose I know um, is you know he's been gutted and he's been tied up, and God love him, um, my friend Bully who's you know who is a professional actor in his own right, um, mm. and he's all tied up and he's supposed to be dead. And he's there with his eyes open. Okay, okay, fine. You can play dead with your eyes open. That's not a problem. And then it wasn't until I was like right in the desperate moments of editing. I'm looking at it and he's blinking. (laughs) And then he's blinking. And then I look again and he's breathing. And it's (laughs) Well, the air's blue at this point. You're supposed to be dead. Stop fucking breathing. But yeah, but yeah, so that that moment, you know, and like nothing's on the line in terms of my short, but that mm. moment where they must like you said, in in the final process of, of that final and of course 
this is not digital. This is film. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go back and like digitally do this. No, you know, and uh, you know, a five, you know, five million dollars is it? You know, eighty-eight is pretty. It's not a bad budget, but it's a small budget. So, um, yeah, I. There are moments where you'd like to be in the editing room. Yeah. And then other moments, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> now, for this one, the, you know, the, you know, we talked about the, the, you know, the, you know, some of the kills with the thumb through the head, you know, the the mechanic being stabbed. The yeah. one death that always just, I was like viscerally felt was um, the electrician who gets oh. thrown onto the power lines. Yeah, it's old Buffy. That, and there's a shot where all the sparks are going off and you can see his body still twitching. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that moment just, it still goes through me. Yes. It still goes through me. You know, you know have you got a favourite kill in this one? Um, Probably, I mean, definitely the thumb in the ambulance is definitely right up there. Yeah. I do love... I do love the double barrel shotgun through uh, Kathleen Kimmott's character's stomach. Yeah. I think, actually, looking back, in the uh, Earl, uh, I believe it was Earl, the uh, uh, redneck yes. bar guy, his rip, his neck rip in the end of this movie, oh. I thought was really brutal. That was a scene that they added, and I, I thought that was really well done. So that probably that one would be one of my favorites. That was uh, the, that Sasha, was one, the, the one with Brady... Was good. It was effective. That was, you know, George P. Wilbur lifting him up and yeah. then in the neck kind of deal. I thought that was decent, but I, I think maybe that ripped neck, man. I think they done really good with that. Because didn't um, Mustafa Akkad didn't he wanted it to be fairly bloodless? He did. Um, he, I think he wanted it to be fairly bloodless because, and then the test audiences wanted more more gore, so they went back and added. Well, yeah, and you needed. For the era, you got to remember now we're hitting into 88, 89. So, I mean, you've already had quite a few of the Friday 13th films. And we know the whole MPAA thing with the debacle of how a lot of the gore got took out. But, mm. but there were still some of those movies that you had to have gore to compete at that time. Uh, 78's Halloween, just because of it being bloodless, people were expecting blood in a slasher movie. I mean, they just did. And. You know, it's going to be more effective if you put it. So they had to do something to just kind of compete. And I think they did good with it. I don't think they – they definitely didn't go over the top with it. No. I don't think – I think they done good with what they had to work with. Now, this is um, – in terms of – where do you think this one sits in terms of, like, the sort of the franchise itself overall? Because, I mean, we've, we've had the new films – Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's there's several hours of, of yeah. podcasting in terms of opinions on the newer films, and of course we had the Rob Zombie movies, and you know, and, and then we had obviously we had five, you know five and six after this one. Um, where do you think this one stands in the overall ranking of them? Um, well, let's break it down. Let's just say the original canon. Let's go with the uh, non Rob Zombie and non. Uh, We'll go non-Rob Zombie and non-New Trilogy. So let's go with the originals. I think in the originals, it goes in order. Like, number one's my favorite. Number two's my second favorite. Number three's my third favorite. I think four is my fourth favorite. And then it flips over, and I love H2O. And then I love six. 
Yeah. And, uh, and then I love five, five, and then resurrection is my least of them. So that's kind of the way it goes. So in the, in the original scheme of things, uh, in the original canon, I would go four would be number four. Yeah. In book. That's just because I love one and two or, I mean, number two, I think is probably other than evil dead, uh, there's there's some good sequels out there, but I think number two is probably one of the best sequels of any horror movie. So yeah, uh, it's my number two, and I absolutely love Season of the Witch, even though Michael's not in it. It's one of my all time favorite, you know, films. So uh, four, four is four. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do you know what? I I'm not far off with you in that one. Um, on that, in terms of the original, the original one, I you know, um. I, I go back and forth with number six. Sometimes yeah. I go back and forth with that. Sometimes you watch it and go, do you know what? It, it, there's something in it. There's something there. And there are other times you think you watch it and you think, what were they thinking? <laughs> well, you got to get the difference too, because you got the director's cut and the producer's cut. Yes. You know, two totally different films. So uh, it, it, it kind of depends on which one you watch too. And I mean, four, five and six is, they belong to each other. That's, their own trilogy in my yes. opinion. Yes, yeah. Because uh, it kind of does that whole thorn thing. So uh, I'm with you with six. Six goes up and down. Like I, I when I first watched, I was like, eh. Second time I watched, I was like, man, that's actually awesome. And then it just keeps going back and forth in my mind. I, I really enjoy it for what it is. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, but it does go up and down. It flips for me. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Season uh, season of the Witches. And yeah. um, one of the key things with that is the, is, is the score by Alan Howarth. Um, yes. and he's back and he does the score for this one as well um, and of course he'd worked with Carpenter um, on on a few other projects as well um, and I, I think his work is so good I am an absolute I'm an absolute sucker um, for a synth score I yeah. mean I've been um, I've been playing Shogun Assassin soundtrack <laughs> in the car on a loop almost for the last couple of weeks um yeah. what do you think of the score on this one i love it i think it's great i mean they got he added some synth to it which i think was okay he still kept that original feel you just kind of modernized it but i think it's a really good one i don't think they overdid it because you don't hear the constant like you did in halloween one and two the, dun, dun, dun. yeah you know that old you don't have that throughout. I think they, they kind of made it a little bit more compact, a little bit more effective when they needed it. So I, I'm all down for it. I think it's really good. Mm, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, throughout this one, I know we talked about sort of favorite. Is there, do you have a moment uh, for Halloween 4 where you're like, oh, God, this is my, this is my favorite moment of the entire film? Uh I don't know like i just love the whole movie in general but mm. i guess maybe the moment for me would probably be the setup once once they're in the the house you know there's that moment where the deputy sheriff's in the car and yeah he's in and michael unbeknownst to him is laying in the back seat like how do you not know michael's not there? but anyway <laughs> well, you know particularly given that given um george wilbur isn't he like he's six foot two and a half yeah. Like, this dude's legit laying in your back seat. You're a cop. Shouldn't you look at that before you get in the back seat? Like, it's like 101. But anyway, <laughs> he drives into the house. But I think that moment when the deputy's guarding the door 
and Ellie's character comes up and says something to him and turns around and you see Michael in the foreshadow. Yes. Deputy kind of leans over and, and then he's gone. I think that moment, man, was just awesome. I love that setup and I love how they put him in the shadow. And I don't know, man, I think that moment because that was that was the integral part now that you know he's in there and shit's fixing to hit the fan. Yeah. Does. So I, I love that moment. Yeah, yeah. I think that whole house sequence is 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 so it's so well done. Agreed. And the fact that we know that he's in the house and they you know they're boarding up the windows mm-hmm. and they're boarding up the attic and you just know that they are trapped in there with him. Um yes. it is it, it and you know and like and the use of low key lighting throughout mm-hmm. this film the, the, the use of lighting in the in the entire film is brilliant. And like the colors, you know, the fact that, you know, we get all those sort of like autumn, autumnal colors and things, and we get the that sequence with the, is is so well lit. It's, yeah. it's and of course you get you know you know poor old Brady, um, he was having a great time not so long before everybody else <laughs> arrived and and ruins his night, um, yeah. but he's you know but that death as well, um, and like the whole sequence up on the roof, um. It's it's so good. It's such a good, well shot, well executed. It it really is horror one, you know, slasher movie one hundred and one, isn't it? It is, and that was another thing too. Was like when I, I was watching the uh, making of, and they were talking about they recreated that roof scene. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that, but like the roof itself, like if you were to look at the gutter, was only a foot off the ground. Yeah. Uh, when they filmed it. So, of course, because of safety reasons. But they're up, the chimney's up about 15 foot in the air. And I do know that Ellie did get hurt during the filming of this. Like, she ripped her gut open mm. and had a lot during one of the scenes. But they legit did a majority of their own stunts on that roof. So, I think it just adds. There's a couple times when she rolled into a chimney that wasn't her. And then, of course, the dangling of, of uh, Daniel Harris's character was not her. But other than that, I mean, that's pretty much them on the roof, which I thought was great, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about that when an actor does their own stunts because it's hard to uh, replicate when you got somebody playing your part compared to you being in that part. One of my favorite games to play is spot the stunt person. <laughs> you could name a lot in this. Uh, one. Ellie's but... driving at the end of the movie, and you see the girl kind of veering back and forth. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's totally not Ellie. <laughs> my other favorite one is it was always in Buffy. Where it's like mm. Sarah Michelle Gellar, stunt person. Sarah Michelle Gellar, stunt person. <laughs> I just, you know, and it's, I, you know, it's, it is one of those things. But when you have actors who are there, actually in that moment, giving giving those those performances, it it, it just it does elevate. It just lifts the entire thing. And you know, yeah. fair play to Ellie Connell having Danielle Harris on her back, climbing up that. Even though it's you know it's not. It's, it's still a feat to go. Yeah. You know, fair play to, you know, that is great. Now, this one does have a bit of a twist ending to it. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the twist? when the first, I mean, the first time I saw this, I must, it must have been about 10 or 11. It blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, however, it, and it took me a little while to figure it out as a kid, but I sort of... You know, I, I kind of come round to it as I, you know, as time has gone on, and I do kind of like it. How do you feel about that ending? Yeah, it, it definitely. I remember it surprised me as well, and 
it has come along. Like I, I feel like I know where they were trying to go with it because, you know, spoiler. Yeah. This one was meant to just be it. Like this was almost like Friday Thirteenth final chapter was supposed to be it, right? So yeah. Michael was supposed to legit die. Like it was done. They were not doing another one. This was it. So the passing of the baton, so to speak, mm. to the Jamie character would have been great. I think they could have rolled with it. She was young. You could have built it. Uh, but in retrospect, looking back, I think they chose wisely to go a different route. Uh, but I was okay with her standing. I think they done great with making her look, you know, so freaking menacing and standing there, the breathing and yeah. all that stuff. I thought it was, you know, really spot on with the film. I'd like to seen her stabbing her. Yes. You know, I would have loved to have seen it instead of just the aftermath of it. But Yeah. And again, her performance, it, yeah. you know, because she really, sometimes when you see like evil kids, I think when you sort of, there's probably a handful of really, really decent, genuinely evil children on screen. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, you know, I think Daniel Harris in that moment is genuine. You know, is you know looks really capable of killing somebody. You know, the other one is uh, Gage in Pet Cemetery. Yes. Um, and I think the other one who and it still creeps me out to this day is Macaulay Culkin in The Good Son. Oh, he's so good in that movie. That's such a good movie. He is fucking terrifying in that film. He is. You know, I had, um, you know, I tried to watch, um, I was watching um, uh, The House by the Cemetery. Oh, wow, yeah. Little Blondie. <laughs> oh, God. It's just... That poor annoying kid. It's the dubbing. It's the dubbing. It's not. <laughs> the dubbing really does that movie disjust. Oh, it, it, yeah. He he's not great in that, is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but I think this is Daniel Harris, in my opinion. This was Daniel Harris's best role, and I know that's hard to say because it's her first. Mm. But I don't think she's been any better than what she was in this one. No, no, and I, 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 I do you know what? I kind of agree with you. I think she's, you know, don't get me wrong. I think she's great in the Hatchet movies. Mm. Um really um, enjoyed I, I thought she was really good in, 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 as a performance in the Rob Zombie um, movies I thought she gives a good, gives a good performance there um, not a mass I, you know I don't mind the Rob Zombie Halloweens um, I keep saying this time and time again I have become over the years a bit of a Rob Zombie apologist um, mm. when deep down I know <laughs> well, you know, I I think people know my my stance, but if not, uh the first one has grown on me to the point that I really enjoy it. Yeah, I do not. I've never cared for the second one, and it's not that the movie's not good. Uh, it does have its moments, and I think Michael is as brutal then than he is in any movie. So yeah. that one is good for the brutality. I just did not like the white horse. I've never still get the white horse, but yeah, these, the second that, that white unicorn showed up, I'm like, okay, yeah, guys, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out, but you know, but I love Rob Zombie and I love 90% of his movies. I think 31 being the crapper, but, yeah. uh, but still, I mean, I, I'm an apologist for him too. I, I'll stick by him. Yeah. But she is really good in it. The other one, um, the other movie where she, you know, she popped up, and I, I, I was doing a bit of a sort of um, 
a bit of a watch. Um, you know when you're kind of just like flicking through Amazon yeah. and um, you, you sort of just think, oh, I wonder what this is. And I came across um, a slasher movie. Um, it's a UK slasher movie. Okay. Um, and it was called... Oh, the first, it was, it was, she was in the sequel. I think it was Redwood. Have you come across them? I haven't. Um, yeah, I think it's Redwood. I'm sure it's Redwood. Um, but yeah, she was in the she was in the second one in that. And I mean, it's very very low budget indie. Um, but she's but she's really really good in that. Really sort of goes for it. Um, mm. But you know, she's she is a very good actress. She is very very good actress. Um, now, in terms of, hang on, where's it gone? This name's going to bug me now. I need to f- Redwood Redwood Massacre Annihilation. That's okay. it. She pops yeah, up I'm in that. That's, that's a sequel. Like she pops up in that, and she's it, it, it's it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, um, and she gives a really really good solid performance in that one. Now. If we were going, you know, as we were sort of, you know, coming to a close on this bad boy, how, where would you come in with scores on the doors? Because yeah, you know, we we sort of do one to ten, one being the lowest um, and ten being the highest. Where would you come in on this one? This one, and and I'll get crapped on for this, and that's fine because I, I take it all the time. I'm I'm that <laughs> way. I don't care. Uh, it's my rating. You can take it. And but I mean, for me, it's a nine. This movie out of ten. Uh, is perfect, man, for me, other than a few little minor details that I could have seen go either way. Uh, but for me, the atmosphere, the cinematography, the script, everything about it worked for me. Uh, they did what they had to do to bring Michael back uh, pretty much from the dead, and they did it. So I respect that. I love the director, uh, Dwight Little, Dwight H. Little, and I think he's great. Uh, for what he'd done in this movie, and I think the acting, I mean, it's just, I can't fault, and I know I'm going to hear it, you know, the script's this, the blah, blah, the movie's this, and blah, blah, I don't care for me, it's a 9 out of 10, and uh, I love this movie. Yeah, I, I it, it, it's a 9 for me, um, it's one of those ones that I remember sort of renting as a kid, and just, just mm. loving and renting it time and time again, I'd probably go back to this one a couple times in a year, um, mm-hmm. It's been a little while since I'd watched it um, before rewatching it again, and just just I find I've got a whole new um, respect for because, like I said, I think you know this is how to do a slasher one hundred and one. Oh yeah, you know, and it... yeah, God, sorry. No, that's it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when you start breaking it down, I mean, this is what you want to do. They they give you the subplot, they give you the plot, and then they yeah. give you the avenue to drive it down and. Boom, and they deliver. I think Michael done great in this one. I think George Wilbur uh, did what he had to do. Tom Morgan looked great as well. Yeah. Even though there's moments where Michael, you know, with the shoulder pads and the different things, they used hockey gear up under him to beef him up a little bit. But whatever, I mean, as here or there, I just still, uh, I think Michael delivers in the fright. The mask, there's nothing you can do about the mask. It's there. Yes, yeah. As far as the skills of the man behind the mask, I like his skills behind it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and on that note, Greg, we have, you know, we have, uh, I think we've, ex- we've covered this bad boy inside and out. Um, and, you know, first of all, where can the good people find you lurking on the social medias and on the good old intraweb? 
oh, I'm lurking behind the bushes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm over there at the hedge on uh, on Halloween Street in Haddonfield. But now nah, you can follow me at Land of the Creeps uh, podcast. That's landofcreeps.blogspot.com. Uh, Facebook, you can look us up, Greg Morgan over there, or look up uh, anything with Land of the Creeps involved. You'll find me. Uh, Twitter at Greg Amortis, Instagram Greg Amortis. You can email me anytime. That's G R E G A M O R T I S 666 at gmail.com. Greg Amortis 666 at gmail.com. Uh, YouTube channel, uh, TikTok, all in. I'm out there somewhere. You'll find me. It's usually in the least amount of spots that you can find me. I'm, I'm, lurking, I'm lurking behind the bushes. I'm like Dr. Loomis who says, Hey, Ronnie, get away from there. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much for being on. It's been an absolute blast. Um, You know, and, you know, we've got to get you back on sooner rather than later. So you have an open invitation to come back on the show at any time. So, you know, you don't even have to to be invited. Just kick the door down and say, this is what we're doing. You you know, we're going to record now. So, Greg... (laughs) Thank you so much for being on, man. Oh, man, the honor is mine, and I'm going to take you up on that. When you're recording with Peter next time, I'm going to sneak in. He ain't going to know it. I'm going to sneak attack. I'm going to go, Peter, Peter, get your ass away from there. Get out of the closet, Peter. Get out. <laughs> Greg, my brother, thank you so much, man. Yes, dude. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, man. As always, I want to say a huge thank you to my special guest, Greg, for coming on. I can't wait to have him back. It was just so cool being able to uh, record with him. I'm really, really excited. Um, So once again, Greg, thank you so much. Like I said, you've got an open invitation to come back anytime you want, my brother. So we have got next What the Wookiee Watched. And at first, we have got Bats from 1999. Let's check out the trailer. The full moon of October is known as the Hunter's Moon. This October, the Hunters will be out in force, filling the hungry sky. And you are the midnight snack. Okay, that was the trailer for Bats from 1999. Bats was uh, directed by uh, Lewis uh, Murnau and was written by John Logan. It stars the wonderful Lou Diamond Phillips. Really should need no introduction. He's, I gotta say, he's always he's always an actor that I always look forward to seeing because I always he's the, he's sort of obviously he started off La Bamba. Uh, he's in the awesome First Power, the Youngins. He's always. Um, a character actor, I suppose he's become more over the years, um, but he always manages to elevate 
whatever he's in. And he's, he's just, and again, he's so much fun in this. Um, he plays Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Emmett uh, Kimsey. Uh, we've got uh, Dina Mayer, uh, who is Dr. Sheila Casper. Of course, she was in Starship Troopers. You got Bob Gundant, uh, Gunton, sorry, uh, as Dr. Alexander McCabe. Of course, he was the warden in uh, Shawshank Redemption, and he's absolutely brilliant in this. We've got Leon, uh, of course, who was in Cool Runnings previously as Jimmy Sands. This has got a really, really good cast. And as you'd expect from a film called Bats, essentially the story here is we have got genetically mutated bats who escape and start breeding with local uh, the local bat population that turns them into sort of uh, bloodthirsty mutant killer bats. Um, this film is so much fun. It is a real throwback to a good 50s creature feature. Um, it's got a little bit of ropey CGI going on. Um, it, the story's really, really silly. Um, it's just fun. It is just so much fun. And Lou Diamond Phillips is great. Nadina Mayer is brilliant in it. It gets really quite gory at times. Um, some of the fish-eyed lens shots that they use, almost like bat cam, I suppose, is really, really, really silly. Um, but no, it's I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I am not going to give too much away on this, because if you haven't seen it, you should go and see it. Um, the One of the highlights I will talk about is the attack on the town, um, where you see one of the sheriff's deputies get into, having this bat sat on him and eating his throat. It's just brilliant. Um, it's a lot of fun. Do not take it seriously in any way, shape or form. For me, it's a 7 out of 10. Um, I think you can watch this one over on Amazon Prime. Um, it's just fun. Go and watch it. Okay, next up on What the Wookie Watched, we have got Amityville Horror. The Evil Escapes from 1989. Let's check out the trailer. Hey, here it is. Oh, you grown. <laughs> Can I see my room, Grandma? Well, Father, it's gone. Look at this. <laughs> Could it be a trick? Maybe it's laying low for now. This is Ooh. ugly. Yeah, that's why it's perfect. Oh, damn. Things oh. sharp. There was a, a standing lamp in this room. What happened to it? Sold or junk. Would anyone have a record? And Helen must have money to burn sending something this big all the way from Long Island. <laughs> a dozen years ago, evil was simply a concept in my mind. That house in Amityville has changed that concept to reality forever. Oh! Oh! How could that happen? For 300 years, no one has lived on that ground without tragic consequences. Now I believe that the evil in that house could transmigrate into that lamp. I saw Daddy last night. It was a dream. Or another house. Or another person at the earliest opportunity. I mean, you startled me. You know, you shouldn't mess with the disposal unless you've secured the switch. Yeah, you definitely got something jammed down here. Can machines turn on themselves? Oh, 
lived here for 45 years and never had what's been happening here in the last three days. Since the kids and I moved in. That evil is searching for souls. And it will transmigrate into the most vulnerable person in its environment. We have to get everyone out of that house now. Stay away from this. this house and all who are in it. Mom, this is the Okay, that was the trailer for Amityville Horror, The Evil Escapes. Um, <laughs> this is such a silly thing. This is essentially a TV movie um, where the demonic forces in the Amityville house transfer to an ancient lamp which finds itself into a remote Californian mansion. Um, this is such a ridiculous film. Um there's a lot of Amityville horror films out there. Um, good, bad, indifferent. I mean, the series, it's the series that just keeps on giving. Now, I hadn't seen this in terms of, like, the original run of them. And what drew me to this was its director was um, Sandor Stern, who, who was one of the writers. He wrote the original screenplay for the original Amityville horror uh, film. Um, and, you know... He's you know he's done a lot. He's worked a lot in television. Um, he's um, you know he's done a lot of writing. So the so the guy kind of knows you know what he's doing. But this one is it's a it's it's what you'd expect. It's a TV movie. Um, it's got a great cast: Patty Duke as Nancy Evans, uh, Jane Wyatt, very very experienced character actress, um, Frederick Lehan, uh, Lou Hancock. Uh, Brandy Gold, um, Aaron Eisenberg, who sadly passed away at a very, very young age. Uh, Zoe Trilling, uh, Norman Lloyd pops up in this one. This one is a lot of fun, um, and there are there are some unsus- you know uh, sort of there are a few moments in this uh, that kind of creep up. The moment where somebody gets their hand caught um, in the food disposal unit is a bit of a that's a proper sort of wincy moment it's it's really well done it's a really good moment however every time that the uh the evil lamp pipes up um you just can't help but giggle um this is not a great uh a great addition to the series um however if you are a total completist and you need to see everything um it's worth it it has its moments like i said there's the moment with the with the um the hand in the food disposal. Um, some of the performances are okay. It's very, very stagey and very, very hokey. Um, and the end to this is hilarious. It really, really, really is. It's just so silly. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's if you're, like I said, if you're a completist and you want to see all of the Amityville films um, going over, for me, this is like a three out of ten. So... <laughs> So, so check this one out at your peril. I believe it. You, yeah, I think it's available on Amazon Prime. Um, so pop on over and check that one out. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, our time is drawing to an end. But before we go, um, again, I want to say a massive thank you 
to Greg for coming on the show. Um, it was just awesome recording with you. I'm amazed it's taken us this long to get you on the show, but so but thank you, man. And like I said, you're welcome back at any time. Um, don't forget, you can find us over on Instagram, on Facebook, and Twitter. Just type in the Undead Wookie. I think we're the Undead Wookie 1980 over on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on the Undead Wookie on Twitter and check out the Facebook page. I'm also posting lots of my letterbox uh, reviews over on there. So if you've uh, if if you're a glutton for punishment and you fancy hearing me wittering on, but uh, in written form, uh, why not pop over on there? Um, I've just written a little piece on. Um, um, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, the Dario Argento movie, so pop on over there. Also, we've had a bit of a shake-up of the YouTube channel, so from now on, all of um, my short films and those kind of things, they will be going on uh, on straight onto the YouTube channel, so you can check them out. So over on there is the short version of School Hall Slaughter and uh, the Sword and Sorcery movie, uh, short one that we did last summer, Iron is up on there so you know pop on over and give it a like and subscribe to the youtube channel that would be fabulous and please feel free to drop us a message on facebook twitter any of those i'm a friendly guy i'll chat to anyone (laughs) so uh, i hope you're all good i hope you're all safe and it's all that is left for me to say in the immortal words of count duckula good night out there whatever you are